0: Hey everybody, welcome to another classic episode of the good line podcast. Today's episode is something that was a bit of an experiment for us on the show. It was a journalistic piece, which was a response to a clip from the NPR show, this American life where professor Elaine Pagels is talking to Ira glass and says that Jesus's death on the cross was this utter failure we decided to respond to this clip from NPR with an NPR style episode in the editing. So it's got lots of music and production and interviews with other people. I think you're really going to enjoy it as we dive into the question, was the death of Jesus his greatest failure or his greatest victory? Let's jump into this classic episode from season three of the good line podcast. Hello and welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvato, and today we're going to be taking a moment to respond to a cultural critique about something we Christians consider very important Jesus' death on the cross. Now, personally, I really love NPR, I enjoy their content. They're one of the networks that inspired me to start our podcast network, Good Lion. NPR isn't a Christian network by any means, and I don't expect them to ever act like it. That being said, as I was listening to an episode of their amazing show, This American Life, I heard something that definitely got me thinking. I'll play the clip. Here's Professor Elaine Pagels talking to Ira Glass.
1: The defeat and destruction of Jesus is a massive problem for Jesus' followers.
0: Professor Pagels is an American religious historian, professor of religion at Princeton University, and has conducted extensive research into early Christianity and Gnosticism.
1: And the way they deal with it, followers of Jesus say, well, it could only happen because the evil power was embodied in the world, in other people, and captured him and killed him.
2: Oh, in other words, like, there's, the, there's this evil force out there with supernatural powers as well. And that's the reason with, why he gets turned over to the authorities and killed.
1: Exactly. With supernatural powers, Ira, but at the same time, supernatural powers that work through human beings. What's necessary for the followers of Jesus is that they have to explain, well, if Jesus was God's Messiah, his, his chosen you know, future ruler of the world, why did he fail? Why did his, his opponents arrest him and torture him and kill him? I mean, if he were God's Messiah, that couldn't have happened, right? Why did he fail?
0: And there you have it. Professor Pagels lays out the question, was Jesus's death on the cross a failure? And if so, why did he fail? Today on the Good Lion Podcast, we're going to talk all about that. And I've invited several friends to talk with us. First, we'll hear from Wavy.
2: My name is Wavy Cowper, and I'm the pastor of Calvary Limerick in Limerick in Ireland.
0: Fans of the show will remember Wavy from our Righteousness series. Here's what he had to say.
2: There is literally no piece of this short interview that I can totally agree with as both a pastor and as a follower of Jesus, because they only have, at best, half the story. Both these statements are wrong. Jesus' death is only a problem for Christianity if you don't understand it. The first part, Jesus' death causing problems for Christians, links to what she says later about how could this defeat happen to God's Messiah. If
1: Jesus was God's Messiah, his, his chosen, you know, future ruler of the world, why did he fail? Why did his, his opponents arrest him and torture him and kill him? I mean, if he were God's Messiah, that couldn't have happened, right?
2: Believe it or not, that was a very prevalent view in Jesus' own time. There's a lot of Bible verses in the Hebrew Bible or what Christians call the Old Testament that talk about God's anointed one, his Messiah, coming in victory. The
0: Jews in Jesus' time grew up with this vision of their Messiah riding on a white horse with a sword in his hand, ready to take out the Roman Empire that was dominating them at the time.
2: Many people in Jesus' day believed that the Messiah, he'd come in victory, he would defeat the Romans and he would reestablish the free kingdom of Israel under his rulership. So if that's the view of the Messiah that you have, it's a small wonder that you would consider his death a failure.
0: And many did see it that way. When Jesus' 12 disciples saw him get arrested, they all ran and hid. When they learned of Jesus' death, they fell into despair and depression. The cross killed Jesus. It was a violent, bloody, and horrible death. And for the disciples who saw Jesus hanging on that cross, it absolutely sent them into despair. And yet, somehow, soon after these events, these same disciples end up embracing the cross as a symbol of hope?
3: So let me put this question another way. How did an ancient Roman execution device designed as the ultimate symbol of humiliation become a cherished symbol of Christianity around the world? That's Thomas Fretwell, Christian apologist and host of the Theology and Apologetics
0: podcast here on the network.
3: We're looking at the question of did Jesus fail on the cross? This is really the question we're looking at here, how did the symbol of defeat become a symbol of victory let me now read to you just a small portion of scripture from the book of colossians chapter 2 verse 15 and i'm reading from the amplified version it's one of these instances where the more dynamic equivalent translation helps us to understand the meaning of the text let me read to you verse 5 it says when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities those supernatural forces of evil operating against us he made a public example of them exhibiting them as captives in his triumph full procession having triumphed over them through the cross now what's this referring to here what is the what is Paul the author trying to help us to understand remember this is the context in which it was written is first century Rome that was an honor and shame culture the Romans used a shaming ritual when they had defeated another nation in battle when they had a great victory what they would do is they would have a parade a procession where they would exhibit all of the plundered treasures and at the end of this procession would be the captives that they had taken prisoner from this defeated nation and at the end of that chain of captives would be the king the leaders and the king of these conquered peoples ashamed and humiliated and right at the back would be the defeated king and he was killed as the rest were taken into slavery this is what the romans did we actually have evidence of this in the arch of titus from 70 a.d when the romans sacked jerusalem and you see them carrying off the treasures of the temple that's a roman uh, processional this is what they did this is the language that paul is making reference to here because everyone would have been aware of these things they were very awe-inspiring and proud moments in roman history and this is the image that paul is really getting us back to here but what he's actually saying is he's flipping it in jesus you see God did what a Roman general would do at the end of a triumphal procession. At the cross, all the spiritual forces were actually being led in a procession by the victor, and the victor was Christ.
0: So Paul writes that while Jesus appears to be overcome by both the dark spiritual forces and the dark human forces, in reality, the cross was Jesus taking the dark forces captive and parading them around. Wow, powerful stuff. And it's interesting that Paul would say this. Here's musician Tanika Wyatt explaining how before Paul met Jesus, he actually hated
4: him. Through human wisdom, Paul knew better than to serve what he perceived as this false, weak Messiah. Human wisdom led Paul to persecute Christians and continue as he had been taught as a Pharisee, waiting on the promised Messiah and getting rid of anyone standing in the way of his righteous agenda.
0: Paul, formerly known as Saul, was a religious leader from a group called the Pharisees. And starting out, he saw Jesus' death on the cross as an utter failure as well.
4: Human wisdom told Paul that no real king, especially not one who is claiming to be God in the flesh, would suffer at the hands of men and be crucified on a cross. But when Paul encountered Jesus for himself, everything changed. Everything else he knew in comparison was a heap of garbage. You have to understand he was the quintessential intellectual of his day, a Pharisee among Pharisees.
0: If you didn't grow up in church culture, a Pharisee was a member of an ancient Jewish sect, distinguished by strict observance of the traditional and written law, and they had a severe superiority complex.
4: Paul would say that he was the best one. He was a great leader and prolific writer, and we know that because we read many of his letters in the New Testament. He tells us that he has many reasons to be confident in his own flesh. In fact, Paul said, if you think you have a reason to brag, I have even more reasons. And he lists his accolades and then says in Philippians 3 verses 7 and 8, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Trash. Garbage. In comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, Paul counted everything else a waste. All of his accolades, his commendations, and his human wisdom combined were worthless in comparison to now knowing Jesus Christ.
0: So we've got a death symbol, the cross, that becomes a symbol of hope to millions. And Paul, a religious authority who sees Jesus as a fraud, who eventually comes to view Jesus and his death on the cross as so important, everything else he's ever accomplished is trash in comparison. But the question is... How can this be possible when a man hanging on a cross bleeding to death looks so much like failure?
2: It looks like Satan and the forces of darkness are winning. It looks like Jesus is failing. But this had to happen.
4: He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. And then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. This is a wonderful picture of Jesus. This is actually an awful picture of Jesus. There's conflict in this. Jesus lowered himself, put on frail, weak flesh, and came to the earth to die on a cross to take on the curse of sinful man. This is both awful and beautiful all at the same time.
2: Jesus had to die to win. His victory is secured in his death and his resurrection.
0: Tanika and Wavy are getting at the heart of it. What Christians believe is that by Jesus dying on the cross and then rising from the dead, Jesus took the punishment for the sins of everyone and made it so that no one who believes in him will ever die an eternal death of the soul. He gave freedom to humans and bondage to sin and completely obliterated Satan's plan to destroy humanity. That's powerful. (laughs)
4: when we accept Jesus and we answer his call by saying yes Jesus rose from the dead with power over death, hell and the grave, they have no victory
2: what seems like a failure what seems like to Satan and the demons and and hell they probably rejoiced over it what seems like a victory to them was God's greatest move
0: So then, what's the main
3: reason his death seems like a failure at first glance? I'd say, obviously, it does depend upon your worldview. Those who look at this question and they have a non-biblical worldview, probably a secularist or an atheist worldview, they do see death as the end. Within their perspective, death is the end. That does seem like uh, an, an end, a defeat. But to those of us who have a biblical worldview, we know that death is not the end. And we know that, in fact, death is described as a defeated enemy because we know one who has power over death and this is what the christian church has always proclaimed yes it is and it's because
0: of this perspective that christians view death differently than the rest of the world death is not the end there's hope here's cameron hager one of the pastors at door of hope portland with more on this idea
5: no matter how much we're Ostracized, no matter how much we lose in the here and now, no matter how much uh, pain is in- in injected into our circumstance, no matter what is taken from us, even up to and including our very lives, He's bigger than that as well. And that even our death is not the end of the story, but He has promises that He is going to resurrect us the same way He was resurrected, that we might enjoy life with Him into eternity future in a perfect, perfected new heavens and new earth with one another everyone who has bent the knee to Jesus with endless time to enjoy him and one another in his world.
2: The second issue about the forces of darkness being supernaturally responsible by working through humans is partially true. Oh, in other words, like the, there's the, there's this evil force out there with supernatural powers as well. And that's the reason with- why he gets turned over to the authorities and killed.
1: Exactly. With supernatural powers, Ira, but at the same time, supernatural powers that work through human beings.
2: But again, it's only about half the story, because Jesus himself said that no one can take his life. He gives it of his own free will, and if he gives it, he can take it again.
0: Yeah, that's the amazing thing. It wasn't a mistake that Jesus died. It was planned before time. He knew from the beginning that humans would need to be saved, And this was always the plan that he had in mind. And all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, he places clues called prophecies.
2: The Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, it also talks about the Messiah coming as a suffering servant. Isaiah wrote in chapter 53, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And it describes what will happen to the Messiah. It says, and by his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all if i read that to you and told you it was from the new testament and it was talking about jesus you'd believe me because it's so on point but it was actually written around 700 years before jesus was born god always predicted that jesus the messiah would die Even back before Isaiah, way back in the Garden of Eden, God makes Adam and Eve a promise after they first sin, and he says he will save them. He will make a way to save them. But he puts it like this, speaking to the serpent that Satan appeared as, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God tells Satan that a descendant of Eve will crush the head of the serpent, will crush Satan's head. But in the process, Satan would wound Jesus. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. Peter, in his first public speech about Christ on the day of Pentecost, said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men, and God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. So Peter says it was God's plan, even though the people are still responsible for their actions. Jesus' death was long decided on by him and by God the Father and by God the Holy Spirit. And it didn't come primarily by the supernatural
3: forces of darkness, as if they were able to defeat Jesus. It is said that all heaven is interested in the cross and all hell fears the cross. It is only men who are ignorant of it. However, this should not be our position, brethren, because we know and we love the one who died on the cross. This is why Paul says, may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember what it cost, yes, but we also rejoice in what was accomplished in that moment. The cross can seem like the greatest act of hatred, but God uses it to
2: show his great love for us. To us, it can look like the cross is a failure, but it's actually God's victory shown in Jesus' resurrection and his current place in heaven at the right hand of God.
4: He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process.
2: No evil supernatural power working through humanity or otherwise could ever
3: defeat him or overcome him. In the 19th century, when the the great general of the Salvation Armoury, William Booth, when they used to walk into the slums of London, proclaiming and offering the message of the cross to the poor and destitute in London in that time, they would often sing this Mm -hmm. hymn. Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banner go. were often met with violence, with jeers, with riots. People would throw things at them. You see, the cross still evokes these sorts of passionate responses. Ultimately, this is a spiritual battle that we are involved in, and it is through the cross of Jesus Christ that we actually have the victory. This is what William Booth knew. It is through the cross that men are freed from Satan's clutches. Here's Pastor Josh Corey of Frontline Church in Oklahoma City talking about what that
0: bondage looks like.
6: There's a pantheon of gods that tell beautiful lies. They promise to make your life better. They promise to answer the deep questions you have about identity. They promise to give you security. They promise to give you comfort. And the problem with all of these little G gods is that they're liars. They're liars. They can't change you. They can't save you. They can't redeem you. And one of the beautiful things about Jesus Christ the son of God that was born of a virgin and took on flesh and lived the perfect life that we can not and went to the cross to carry the shame and the pain and the punishment of our sin, who rose from the dead historically, not in terms of mythology and mere human poetry, but who really literally came back from the dead and appeared at one point to 500 people at one time. The thing about that Jesus... And what he taught and what he did and what he's doing is that he loves you so darn much, he's willing to confront the gods that promise freedom and give you bondage.
3: It's a very powerful imagery of spiritual victory by Christ. And it's what Booth knew when he had the cross of Jesus marching before. This is why the devil hates the cross, because it disarmed him, and it took away the power of death. And in that sense, Jesus did not fail. He succeeded in what the Father sent him to do. John 1.4. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. You see today the cross stands as a symbol of victory over the spiritual forces of wickedness and as a testimony to the love of God for sinners.
4: That is the goal of preaching and teaching the gospel message so that you encounter Jesus today. That you find yourself at the foot of the cross. That unbelievers come to know him as savior. That believers are drawn closer to him. And that we all experience God's power.
3: The power is not in the symbol of the cross, but the power is in the reality of the cross, a reality that is rooted in real history in this world. What happened on the cross, the cross changed everything. Nothing was ever the same after the cross. On that hill 2,000 years ago, all of history and prophecy converged, culminating in that one moment that we now call the crucifixion. And
0: that cross inspires people all around the world to do radical things there's a saying Christians have, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. It's this idea of laying down your own dreams, desires, goals, and wants, and instead following God's desire for your life. Here's Cameron Hager again, explaining what that looks like.
5: I'm actually gonna deny what I want because I actually do believe that what Jesus has is better for me, even though it's hard. We do these things because we have seen and trusted the goodness of God, especially and most prominently seen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We trust that no matter how hard a God-honoring decision might be, it's worth it. It's worth it because, because we're confident that He only has our deepest good in mind and not just our deepest good, not just your deepest good, which He does, but the deepest good of your family, the deepest good of your friends, the deepest good of the whole world, the deepest good of your, your enemies, the deepest good of the creation itself. That is exactly what's at the center of his heart and his will and every one of his commands and decrees and everything he does.
3: All of our deepest good hymn writer Isaac Watts said it best at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away and it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day
4: people are still offended and still think it's nonsense to take up your cross and follow Jesus but that is what he calls us to do we are called to a life of prayer service, community with others and obedience to the spirit. God is calling us into abundant life. He is calling us into fellowship with him and with one another to experience him in a new way, to understand who we really are in Jesus Christ. God is calling us.
2: There's an author in Ireland called Fraser Hosford. And he wrote in his book, God has always been the rightful king of this world. But now in Jesus, he is exercising this power after defeating the powers of sin and of death through his resurrection from the dead. Jesus' death wasn't a defeat. It was his great victory.
0: Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Good Lion Podcast. We hope it's encouraged you, equipped you, and helped you think. If you like our show, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. It helps so much. If you have any questions or feedback on today's episode or anything else, you can email us at network at gmail.com. We also have a new group chat on Instagram that you can join. Just send us a direct message letting us know and we'll add you to the chat. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of Calvary Global Network, and it's produced by myself and Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging, and equipping podcasts. Our goal at this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io support.